Do we have that picture? There we go. Okay. It's good to see all of you again. It's been a whole 20 minutes <laughs> since. Um, so if you have never been to my office, this is, I keep a couple of shelves of um, just things that are, are special to me, little trinkets, little memorials. And uh, so up here, I have right in the middle on the top shelf that little blue frog. I used to run the children's program at uh, Westfield First Baptist before I came here. And one Sunday morning, one of my third, I think he was a third grader at the time, he's graduated now, that's how long it's been. Um, he, he was learning origami. <clears throat> so he'd just gotten this new book, all these new papers, and he's sitting behind me, and he makes one, and in the middle of the sermon, he taps on my shoulder, and, um, hey, I made this for you. So I have kept that ever since. It's kind of a reminder of my children's program and the kids that were there. Up behind that, to the right, you'll see Love Quest. So I don't know if you can see it really well from here, but uh, uh, Livy and uh, Brennan, who are both up here today, are in that picture. I was a huge Love Quest fan back in the day and used to be their groupie and follow them around to shows and things like that. Um, and to the left, my little pirate Pete there came from the Department of Motor Vehicles. You think it's busy all the time at the DMV. It's not. We have some serious downtime there. So <laughs> Pirate Pete and over in front of Love Quest is a little uh, paperclip Achilles with his spear that, yeah, I got a little bored a couple days and just made things. And then, of course, pictures of friends. And uh, I won't embarrass you by telling you there's one picture. Apparently, you can't see. I won't embarrass Kara um, Aiken by telling her that it's a picture of her there <laughs> from, from homecoming many, many years ago. And... Uh, but I'm not going to tell you that and embarrass you. So. <laughs> and then my grandma's crucifix up there and a little thing I got from Cuba. And the reason we're telling you this is talking about mementos. This here, my water bottle, another little memento. I assure you I will not be drinking water out of this today. This is the worst water bottle ever made. So... But it was from the Niagara Falls Aquarium, so it was very expensive. Uh, but it's also very loud, <clears throat> so when you try to sip, it's very, it just makes noise. Why would a water bottle make noise? It just shouldn't happen. And it leaks. But this stays, I had to bring this in because this is above all those things on my shelf. And if you've never been to my office to see you know, my trinkets, you should come visit me in my office because I'm way down at the end and it gets lonely down there. So come visit but this is from my first date with Jessica, my wife. So, and so, of course, I've kept this, but I kept it because not only was it our first date, we'd known each other for years, and uh, we'd been hanging out a lot, but this was the time I asked her for the very first, hey, let's go on a legit date. And so, actually, I asked her if she'd go on a date with me. She said yes, and I stopped and said, wait a minute, you know I mean holding hands and everything, right? So she's like, yeah, I got it, I got it. <laughs> so... But on our way to the aquarium, I hate driving in cities. And uh, I still have flashbacks because I'm, I'm old enough to where, obviously I'm old enough to where we didn't have GPS and we had to use maps. And I thought trip, trip ticks from AAA were the best thing ever. <laughs> um, but I get super stressed if I'm in a city and I get lost. I don't like being lost. And we're driving to the aquarium and we're following our GPS, but 
there was construction. So uh, I get a little stressed, and I'm like, oh, no, what are we going to do? And I don't remember what Jessica said, but she was very calming at that moment. And I tell her all the time, I'm going to tell you guys this, it was that moment that I knew I loved this girl and that I was going to marry this girl if she would have me at some point. <laughs> so, um, so that is what this is. This is my little memento, my monument, if you will. And it may seem sentimental, but I think it's important that we remember these moments in our lives, the times, the people, the places, that we remember these things. And God thought it was important too. In uh, Joshua 2 through 4, I'm, I'm sorry, Joshua 2, I've got to look at where it is actually here. Joshua 4, 2 through 7, I know there's a 2 in there somewhere. God tells Joshua, choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests stood, and to carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and he said to them, go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan, Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulders according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites to serve as a sign among you in the future. When your children ask you what do these stones mean, tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever." God understands that we have this crazy propensity to forget. And stones even, set up these stones as a reminder. So my really bad uh, water bottle doesn't seem so bad compared to a little pile of stones that's supposed to help us to remember. So, and one of the things, you know, we're going to be going into Exodus the, the next uh, five weeks, I believe. And I remember thinking the first time I read Exodus, what is wrong with these people? I mean, come on, you are going through the wilderness, sure. But God is right there. Whenever you move, he's there in a, in a pillar of cloud during the day. He's there as a pillar of fire at night. But you keep forgetting Like, what is wrong with you people? And then I was a Christian for a little while. (laughs) It didn't take me long to realize, all right, I get it. God does all these things in my life, and I constantly, constantly forget. I have had cars that ran as much on prayer, one in particular, as it did on gasoline. (laughs) And this is so bad that in a year period, this car probably died on me five times. And I used to stress out every time. I got to get to work. You know, I've got things I have to do. Um, So I stress, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And every single time, God provided. Most of the time, God provided through my dad, who had two cars. Um, But I never had to worry about a ride. God provided. Um, And I was worried about how am I going to pay for this? And my dad did not pay for my car repairs. 
but God provided every single time I was able to, to get my car fixed. And about the third or fourth time that it broke down, I didn't stress. This time, I went to where I normally pray, and I looked up and said, okay, God, how are we doing it this time? And God provided again. So that one instance, in that short period of time, things got better. And I started to remember, because it was happening over and over and over again. But I'll tell you what, four months ago, when I start to go through a difficult time again, so after 30 years of God providing of my being a Christian, almost 30 years, I'm not that old yet, almost 30 years, um, of God providing for me as I've been a Christian, still four months ago, going through a difficult time, my first response, God, what's going on? Why are you doing this to me? How am I going to make it? I can't do this. And again, God provided So it's so important that we have little memorials, little monuments, little ways to remember all the times that God has provided. So that's why for the next five weeks, our series topics, we are going through Exodus and we are talking about remember when. We are going to remember when God has delivered. We are going to remember when God has provided. We are going to remember when God has guided. We are going to remember... God was faithful, and we are going to remember when God has spoken. So I know that there are times in our walk with the Lord that we might be thinking or feeling, where is God? And we are going to work on looking back and remembering when he has been there so that we don't have to wonder where he is at this particular moment. So for this week, we're going to start with the first one. We're going to focus on remembering when God has delivered. So I'm going to read to you Exodus 16, 2 through 5. So if you have your Bibles, open up with me. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gathered on the other days. This is God's word for us today. As we begin this, uh, the actual sermon Would you pray with me? Pray that God would just touch our hearts and speak to us during this time. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you again for this day. I thank you for each person here, Lord. Father, I I thank you that we have this opportunity to read your word out loud in public, Lord. There's so many places that don't get that opportunity. And we lift those places up to you. We lift those people up to you. We pray for your protection over them. On this Sabbath morning, Lord, Lord, on this Sunday morning, we pray your protection over them. Father, we pray that you would show up here. We pray that you would open our ears, that we would hear what we need to hear, whether it's in this sermon or not, Lord, that you would speak to each one of us where we're at. Lord, that you would soften our hearts, that we would be pricked where we need to be pricked, convicted where we need to be convicted, but also encouraged and strengthened where we need encouragement and strength. Father, I pray that you would show up today and just do something wonderful. 
We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So God delivered. When I read this passage, when I read this passage this last week, um, preparing for this message, I laughed a little bit. Because I really, I was struck by verses 2 and 3. I'm going to read them again real quick. Um, Actually, we're we're going to read 3. It's 3 again. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat. We ate food all we wanted. But you brought us out to this desert to starve us. Now, the image I have in my head as I'm reading that is my daughter. Now, if you know me and you know my, my daughter, Amelia, um, she is my, I just love that girl. She is, she is my world. I adore her to bits. Um, but my daughter is a little, little bit of a drama queen, a whole lot of a drama queen. <laughs> so as I'm reading this, I think about her, and I think about I'm in the living room, or not in the living room, I'm in the kitchen, and hearing the pitter-patter of feet running by as she, now she has her own bedroom, so she can go upstairs to her own bedroom and just hearing, and she's screaming the whole way, I just need some time. I just need to be alone. You know, because she was told not to do something or because Eli took a toy, something ridiculous, but she just needs time. And then even better, it gets better. I think of the time when I'm, I'm in the playroom and she has a tent in the playroom and now when things are really bad, it's the tent. A big brown tent, the front of it looks like a bare face. I love the tent, it's an awesome tent. But I'm in there and I'm changing Josiah and she comes running. Now this is really bad because she makes a beeline and dives headfirst into this tent just crying and I hear her talking to, I presume, her stuffed animals in there and uh, just crying out, this is a catastrophe. (laughs) And I'm like, (laughs) where did that come from? Where did, what are you watching that you even got catastrophe? (laughs) I watch a lot of Princess Sophia with her. I have never heard catastrophe, but that is what she's yelling in there. Or when she, her favorite though, is when she just comes and it's, this is the worst thing ever. And I look at her and I'm like, really? Really, this is the worst thing ever? But then I think, okay, she's four. She's four, she's lived a pretty sheltered life. Maybe this is the worst thing ever for her. Maybe this is the worst thing ever. But that's what the Israelites are saying. I do not have the same sympathy for them. This is the worst thing ever. Ever. Things were so good back in Egypt. We wish we would have just died there. And I just look again and think, really? Really, this is the worst thing ever that has happened to you? Because I see their hands on their head, just, oh, woe is me. So let's see, was this really the worst thing that had happened to the Israelites? See, in Exodus 1, it tells us what the Israelites were going through before they were delivered from Egypt. They were beaten if they didn't work hard enough or fast enough. Then Pharaoh decided that that wasn't quite enough. 
They've got to continue to do the same amount of work. They were making bricks. They were building cities. It tells us they built two cities for Pharaoh. So we're going to take away all their straw as well. We're going to make them pick, out, pick their own straw and get their own straw, but still keep the same quotas. And when they don't, they're going to get beaten again. Pharaoh went even so far as to order the death of any child born among the Israelites, any male child born among the Israelites. So I read some of these things that, that, have had, that was happening to them, and again, it's like, really? Really, this is the worst thing that was happening to you? Because the reason God finally sent Moses was because the cries of suffering from the Israelites was so great that finally he took pity on them and decided that he was going to send Moses to deliver them out of Egypt. Already, as soon as they left, already, though, they begin to forget. They begin to grumble. They get to the Red Sea, and oh no, we're going to be destroyed by the Egyptian army. But God delivered them through the Red Sea. They get to, I think it's pronounced Mara. And they're whining and complaining that they're dying of thirst. Oh, woe is us. We have nothing to drink. And the, the waters at Mara were sour. Or I think it was sour, it calls it. And uh, God tells Moses, well, take this piece of wood and throw it in the water. And he does that and it turns the water sweet. God delivered them. Now here again, it's the same thing. They're starving. Now, just so you understand, most of the commentators I read don't believe they were really starving even at this point. Supplies were getting low, and uh, they hadn't gone that far from, from Mara. It's like 12 miles from Mara to, to Elam. And I don't know how much farther it was from Elam when they left there um, to where, where they're in the desert here. Um, but the commentators believe it, it wasn't, they weren't that bad off. And yet already they're complaining so God again delivers them, like we said, by delivering this manna from heaven. So kind of like a bread from heaven, which is the coolest thing ever, because nobody knows really what it is. We still don't know what it was to this day. All of a sudden, this manna just appears on the ground every single morning, and they can go and they can gather it up. God has provided in a miraculous way, and that's so cool because it's going to play into later on in our message here. So don't forget that about what the manna actually is. So God was delivering the Israelites then. But the great thing is, is God is still delivering now. God still delivers today. God is in the business of delivering, and he did not stop with biblical times. He is still delivering today. So I wanted to share a story, because I like sharing stories. And I thought, what is a story that I could share that, uh, that would kind of play into this, especially the idea of the nation and uh, God's deliverance. And I thought, well, we could talk about Israel again. The way God provided for Israel in the Six-Day War in 1967 is miraculous. I mean, the stuff that happened during that war, it's like it came right out of the Bible. There were some crazy things that happened during that war. And I, I encourage you to look it up because I'm not going to share that part with you now. <laughs> so 
that's just to get you excited. So you actually look it up and see how God worked again in the Israeli nation. Because I wanted to share something a little closer to home about our nation and how God has delivered our nation. Because I didn't realize this until this week that America had what they called an American Moses. Did anyone else, Connor, you probably knew this. Anybody else know this? Anyone else here? No, Connor hasn't even heard. Okay, good, I feel so much better. I was a history major for a while. I thought maybe I really flunked my classes. Um, But there's an American Moses, and it's George Washington. Eric Metaxas, in his biography, calls Washington an American Moses, and he gets this um, because three-quarters of the eulogies about George Washington when he died They compared him in his day to Moses. He delivered America, the the colonists, he delivered this country the way Moses delivered the Israelites. So they call him the American Moses. And, And I found an article in Time Magazine even that shared that same information. So I thought, this is what we need to talk about today. Because I don't think we realize, a lot of people may not realize, that in 1776, we were perilously close to losing the war already before it really had even gotten going, 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 (laughs) really quickly. (laughs) We, We almost lost that war. And there was a time when the British moved from Boston and they decided that they wanted to take New York because this way they could divide the colonies in two. So they could, they, if they could control New York, they would kind of control the entire uh, northern eastern seaboard. So they moved from, from Boston. They came down to New York. Washington's troops were there to meet them. Now, I found a map, and I don't have it, but the East River, sorry, gonna, like the East River is kind of like here on the top. Washington's troops were here. Uh, the British are coming down underneath. And uh, there's... I think almost around 18,000 uh, British troops, maybe more, and there were 9,000 American troops. So they were pretty much outnumbered two to one, I think is what, what it was. But something happened during that battle. We were very close to losing that battle. But God delivered in a few ways. First of all, as the British were attacking, there was one um, group from Maryland of 400 soldiers those 400 soldiers fought off the British long enough for the rest of the troops to retreat uh, northwards, closer to that, that East River. 400 troops held off the entire British army long enough for that to happen. After that, the, uh, the British troops start going after the, the American, the colonist, um, wasn't American yet, but the colonist. And... Another thing happens, they get them trapped against the East River. There's nowhere for for George Washington and his army to go. The British have him trapped. General, uh, I believe General William Howe, um, very good general apparently for the British army, for some reason decided to stop. He decided that they were gonna build trenches and they were gonna settle there and wait. Um, before they attacked. They could have just completely decimated the American army. But for whatever reason, they chose to wait. Now, the reason that I found, 
may have been because he expected some of the British ships that were farther um, up the East River, or down the East River, I guess it actually would have been, to sail back up and attack from the north as well. But there was no wind that day, so there were no ships. So suddenly, George Washington and his troops get a little bit of time, but they've got the river there. There's nowhere they can go. God doesn't part the river, but what does happen is that under the cover of night, George Washington gets all the ships that they can find available, and they start filling these ships with as many men as they can, and they start sailing down the river and and head up north more. Now, 9,000 men in these ships, it has taken a long time. And when the morning comes, there's still a lot of men to get across that river. What are they going to do? There was still enough men there that if the British had even gotten them, it would have really hurt the army. But God delivered when he brought a fog, a thick fog that fell right over both encampments. One of the soldiers that was there actually wrote about it in a diary and said, and I don't remember the entire thing he said, but ultimately he said this was a providential fog. This was clearly the hand of God. So under the cover of that fog, they were able to continue to remove their troops. Just as the fog is, just as the last boat is leaving, the fog begins to lift. And the British see that their encampment is empty. I had read in another area, I got a lot of different sources, so fact check all this, read it, it's an interesting story. Um, But they see that it's empty and that they're leaving. And in one area I read, some of the British troops ran and they started firing on them, but they were already just far enough gone. So that's how close it was from the time that fog lifted to the time they got that last ship onto the water. God delivers still. And the awesome thing about God delivering nations in this way is that he doesn't stop there. God delivers us as well as individuals. That didn't stop either with the Bible. There were biblical times. God is still delivering us today. And even more important, God will deliver. And that's where we get to our last section here. That manna from heaven that fell down, the reason that is such a cool story, and the reason I love Genesis and Exodus, much of the Old Testament is so awesome because the New Testament is hidden all through the Old Testament. And the Old Testament is revealed with the New Testament. That St. Augustine, I believe, said that years, you know, when, when he was here. And what we see with that manna from heaven is that is a foreshadowing of the deliverance that God is going to bring to his people even today. This is what Jesus says about that manna in uh, John 4, I'm sorry, John 6. John 4, John 6, which is actually where my life verse is that I talked about several weeks ago, but I'm still going to screw up where it is. Um, So Jesus says this. He says, this, meaning his body, 
is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus right there is comparing himself and showing what God was doing in Exodus that he is that bread of life. He is that manna that was sent down. And when I said it was such a cool thing that that nobody really knows what it was, it was a mystery. Jesus was a mystery at this time. The Jews didn't know. They didn't understand. Just like the manna, Jesus was a mystery, but Jesus was also their deliverance. And he is our deliverance today. And remembering that God will deliver because God delivered, God is delivering, God will deliver. And if you haven't listened to anything up to now, this is the part I want you to really listen to and really focus on. You see, we talk about our nation, we talk about difficult times, and I know that right now we're in a really difficult time for a lot of people. I know I will be with the rest of you on New Year's Eve 2020 celebrating its leaving more than celebrating that the New Year's coming in, right? We will show up to make sure 2020 leaves, like many of the memes say. I get it's a difficult time. But God is still in the business of delivering, and God will deliver. But we have got to have that hope to hold on to. Because it's easy to lose sight of God and to look at everything going on around us and to forget that God is bigger than a virus, God is bigger than riots and looting. God is bigger than elections. doesn't matter who gets elected. God is bigger. And we need to hold on to these things. And it's so important that we remember. In 1952, there was a woman named Florence Chadwick. And she decided she was going to swim from the, the coast of California to the Catalina Island. It's 26 miles. So she began her swim And there were some boats that went with her so that they could fend off sharks or if she got injured or anything, they'd be able to help her. So Florence is swimming for 15 hours when a fog again comes down. But this fog is not quite as helpful as the fog that George Washington had. This fog makes it so she can no longer see the shore she can no longer see the island. So she swims and she swims and she, her mom was in one of the boats and she tells her mom, I don't know if I'm going to make it. But she keeps pushing on for another hour when finally she just, uh, she just can't do anymore. She quits and she gets out and gets in the boat. And as they're sailing in that boat, they realize that she was only a mile away from the shore. She was so close, but she lost the vision. Good news is, she tried it again. The second time as she was swimming, the same thing happened with the fog. She couldn't see, but this time, she kept a mental image in her head of the shore, and she says that that is what helped her to make it through all the way to Catalina Island. We need to hold on to that mental image that God is bigger And I want to share with you this. This is what we are holding on to. Revelations 21. And I think we're going to read 1 through 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. 
for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. That is the vision that we hold on to. And I'll tell you, as I, as I read that in Revelations, and I think about what am I holding on to, and I remember the bad things going on in my life, that have gone on in my life, and in the world, And I know there's a lot of people who are hurting. There's a lot of people today who are here right now who are hurting, who are struggling, who are just difficult times that you're going through. I get that. But I love what Revelation says because I imagine walking into that new Jerusalem, entering heaven, and seeing God the Father or Jesus come up to me and put his hands on my head and hold his forehead to my forehead and just wipe away the tears from our eyes from anything that has happened, from anything that is happening. That is what we hold on to. We hold on to the fact that no matter how much pain, no matter how much suffering is going on in this world or in our lives, God is ready and he is going to wipe those tears from our eyes. Don't lose hope when you're a mile away from shore. This week, remember what we are holding on to. Remember why we are living for him still. Hold on to that hope. We are going to remember the past when God has delivered us. Memorialize it. Write it down so you don't forget. We are going to have our eyes open for the times right now that God is delivering us. And then we're going to hold on to the future and remember back all these times that God has delivered us. I encourage you to leave here this week and spend some time really doing this. Hold on. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for each person here today again, Lord. I thank you for the work that you're doing in their lives. I thank you for the work they're doing in my life and in the staff's life and in the traditional service, Lord, just all the work you're doing here that you are delivering us, Father. Lord, I thank you that we have the opportunity to come to you and I pray that as we leave here today, Father, that we remember this, that we remember all the times that you've delivered us and that we will deliver us again. Lord, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. May you go out this week. May God, again, like every week, give you the wisdom to know the right path, the courage to choose that path, and the strength to make it endure. Continue on that path this week. Don't lose sight of the vision we're holding on to. Amen.